Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday morning service. So I hope people have a comfortable seat because there's a lot to do today. So I may not give you a break. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the monastery, the average teaching is four hours long. So this is just short, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, if if you have to stretch your legs, then it's um, probably then you just stand up on the you know you just go to the side of the wall. I'm just giving you kind of like Dharma etiquette. So uh, I have bad knees, so I totally get it. So so then you 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 would just stand respectively on the side or in the front. That makes sense, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, is that okay? We'll see. Okay, you know, yeah. Uh, today is um, Chukha uh, Duchen. Uh, this is um, uh, auspicious day in the Buddhist calendar. Uh, we're on the sixth lunar month now. Uh, so, Chu means Dharma, Kor means turning. So, this commemorates. Uh, the first turning of the wheel when uh, Shakyamuni uh, gave the Four Noble Truths at Sarnath, India, Deer Park. So, uh, in addition to all everything we have to do today, so I need to give a short teaching on Four Noble Truths, right? <laughs> and it is said that um, on these auspicious days, um, our positive actions are multiplied multiplied millions of times. So um, you can take that metaphorically or real, you know? Like even if it's just twice, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, you know, generally uh, they're taken a little bit literally. Um, so <clears throat> so uh, that's good. Why not? Why not 10 million times? So I'll be speaking on uh, Nagarjuna's uh, fundamental wisdom of the middle way, his karakas, his verses. But um, it is important we know Four Noble Truths first. It's mistranslated a lot in the West. So we just take it from the Sanskrit, you know, um, the truth of suffering. It isn't all life is suffering. We just... It's the truth of suffering. What, what can we just tell the truth about uh, our suffering? <clears throat> Dukkha is the uh, um, Sanskrit. So uh, sometimes in the West, it's translated as uh, dissatisfaction or irritation. Um, we certainly need to tell the truth about that, but the correct emotional feel is complete horror, right? Because if it's just, if samsara, we're telling the truth about our life, if we're just pointing to, well, things, it's a drag being stuck in traffic jam, or it's kind of a drag, um, you know, having the inconveniences, we're, 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 we're thinking, well, we can accommodate that, right? We can just, 
you know, be a little bit more patient, or we can leave earlier for San Francisco or something. Um, but uh, the Buddha was willing to tell the, the deep truth about how difficult things are, right? So we've been looking at news, you know, so uh, we, that's, shootings are true dukkha. There's no kind of like, that's, is that dissatisfaction? No, that's, that's horror, right? So uh, the Buddha is really willing to tell the truth about trauma, uh, tell the truth about uh, real horror, um, and, and work with that, right? So, of course, it's difficult um, to actually talk about our individual trauma, but, but it's possible. Uh, not just in general we're going to tell the truth, but it's also uh, personal, personally necessary to talk about it. So uh, we do need, you know, we do need a lama, we do need therapists, we do need a friend, we do need a spiritual friend or colleague to, uh, that knows our personal uh, trauma also, right? So that's why in Dharma we call what we do the friendship model. So when the Buddha went to talk to the five ascetics, his five initial students, it wasn't just kind of like, well, there's, he didn't just say they're suffering. I, you know, he just asked them how they're doing too, right? It wasn't, it wasn't just, well, you know, it was like very personal also. So in Dharma, there's always the transpersonal, like the truth for everybody, and then, then there's our personal story too. This is important when we look at Nagarjuna. So, of course, we can say there's impermanence, and we can say, well, everybody is born and dies. Just that's transpersonal. But when someone we love uh, dies, then it, it's personal. It's different, right? It's very different. But in Dharma, we, we work with both. We tell the truth of both uh, the transcendent, I'm calling it, and the personal. The uh, second noble truth is the truth of the origin, like that. So depending on the different paths, the different teachings, sometimes we say uh, uh, craving and grasping, um, but it stops there, grasping at what? So in our tradition we say we're craving and grasping toward uh, based on ignorance, not knowing the truth of things, particularly craving and grasping toward a misperceived self. <clears throat> we are craving and grasping towards uh, sensory objects and craving and grasping towards ordinary things, um, which, once again, we should never um, rule out. We might say, well, I'm not craving and grasping towards misknowledge anymore, of realized emptiness. I wouldn't go around saying that, by the way. But, <laughs> uh, but then, then we think, well, I don't have to deal with my craving grasping towards uh, drugs or a chocolate cake or potato chips. It's interesting, right? So why do some people, it seems like they do a lot of practice, and it seems like, well, they're living in that kind of wisdom mind, but there's uh, the, you know, still grave, you know, the craving and grasping. So in our tradition, we we have to work on both, like that. 
So we, we need to have a mindful recovery program too. You can't just do transcendental work. You can't just say, I see nature, mind, so, and the chocolate cake or the alcohol is empty, so it, it won't have any effect, right? That's misunderstanding uh, the truth. <laughs> it's, uh, you're, you're still going to uh, die from alcohol-related diseases, you know, I mean, like that, right? So once again, in our tradition, we always look at the absolute truth, of transcendent truth, and also look at the relative conventional personal truth at the same time. That's the middle way, right? <laughs> I actually tried to organize this talk today, so... <laughs> Sabrina always goes, Do you, I never see you doing anything organizing the talk, but because um, I'm up at three in the morning, you know, that's what I'm doing. So <clears throat> then uh, third noble truth is the truth of cessation, right? Um, uh, Naroda, just stopping. <clears throat> uh, that's overlooked sometimes, cessation, right? <clears throat> you, you have to stop something before you can see it clearly. You have to stop shaking something, right, before you can see it clearly. So, um, generally, um, when people are active in their addiction, they, they think, well, I'll stop using or eating chocolate cake or something when I find out why I'm doing it. <laughs> Actually, it's weird, but you have to stop first and then continue to stop by, you know, looking at it. But um, you can't find out why. Or you can say why because, well, my dad or mom was an alcoholic, that's why. But that's not, that's not going to stop you. So, so we have to stop. Uh, so well, that's why in our tradition, and particularly this Lama here, I put an emphasis on uh, doing the calming and tranquility meditation, doing, doing the shamatha meditation like that. Um, so uh, you really have the experience of uh, things coming to like a full stop. Of course, in Chamata, we don't have true, complete stopping. This is like temporary stopping, but uh, it's, it's a unique experience when you actually uh, have uh, a Chamata uh, basis where you kind of go, wow, I can put my attention somewhere and it can stay there a long time without wavering. You know, just that, that mastery builds up an immense amount of confidence. So uh, we need that, you know. We can't just say, well, I don't have to do very much uh, shamatha practice. I'll just, I'll just pick it up by doing, you know, tantric uh, maha-yoga practices or doing maha-mudra, zokchen. Um, you know, it's kind of what you bring to it is also what you're going to get out of it. So if your shamatha is like, you know, like teacup size, like this, you know, uh, you're going to have teacup zogchen, right? I'm just telling the truth, okay? You know, it'll still be like genuine, right? So, but uh, other than benefiting you, it, it might not go that far, right? So we do bodhisattva practice, so we're trying to at least have like, you know, a serving bowl or at least a swimming pool or something, right? 
<laughs> so we, we, we have to create uh, a very big container and then when you actually see um, nature of mind and stop doing uh, you know, our projections, stop, really stop uh, our dualistic consciousness, then, then you, you have a container to hold it. Because once again, we have to have the relative world. So those people that have really opened themselves up, created more than just maybe thimble, uh, you know, <laughs> thimble. So uh, sometimes I call myself like teacup llama, you know, just so, so well, we've got a teacup. But maybe we could get a bowl, you know, and then maybe we can get like an urn and, and feed others, right? And then maybe a swimming pool, and then maybe like Dalai Lama, we, or, you know, like Dujimimshe or somebody, then we can have ocean, right? Yeah. Many people can swim in it. So we need to do the stopping. <clears throat> then uh, the truth of the path, uh, <clears throat> uh, Marga Satya. So, uh, and we have the Eightfold Path. <clears throat> uh, I'm sure that the Buddha had more than just like formal talk like this, just a conversation, right? Conversation with uh, his friends. <clears throat> So it became formalized, but that's uh, uh, the first turning of the wheel. So people did more than just kind of go, yeah, that's right, thanks. They actually decided to really engage in the practice uh, with the Buddha at that point. <clears throat> and uh, that's when he, he became not like a rishi in the forest, which he was thinking of doing, We've all thought of that, right? Like, people are screwed, so I'm just going to sit at home or sit under a tree or go to my cave or, you know, go wherever we go and, you know, whatever. You know, he, he had those thoughts for, for during his uh, uh, seven-week period uh, while he was walking by the river and under the Bodhi tree, right? Anybody have those thoughts or right now? Like, oh, no one will get this. It's not worth it, you know. Um, but, of course, uh, Indra and uh, Shiva and, and Brahma, you know, came and said, you know, like, um, we'd like to hear. So that's why I like doing uh, some kirtan and, um, you know, singing, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, Brahma and Shiva. It's not that we're taking refuge in Brahma or Shiva, you know, or... Uh, the gods, we, we could sing the local gods here, you know. Um, but uh, that's interesting, right? So the Buddha was meditating and uh, these wonderful beings, they said, well, actually, you know, we'd like to hear, and, and there actually are a few people that, that might get this. So we're very thankful. We don't go, well, we're Buddhists, so, you know, go away. No, we're, we're really very thankful so that, you know, people remind us to practice, right? Do you ever have people remind you your practice? And, and they, they don't identify themselves as Dharma practitioners. You ever, you know, like, you know, they're the ones like, you know, you're not doing it. Why aren't you doing it? So, and we go, well, 
you're not doing any, you know, but they're speaking, speaking the truth, right? So we, we should then, we should just stop right there and, you know, just say, oh, thank you, you, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're my guru today. I <laughs> should, should say that, you know, like that. <laughs> So, uh, in the Four Noble Truths, as uh, people have done Geshe Tashi's course, there are the many ways of breaking it down into 16, and, and some people, uh, we've had many people complete that course, uh, so we could go into more detail, but um, I wanted to emphasize that we're just telling the truth. We're not escaping things. We're not, we're not uh, you know, sugarcoating things. We're not saying you can get by without doing any practice. So uh, I'm fond of the uh, Gatha by the Buddha, which says the Buddhas do not um, uh, cleanse uh, karma with water, right? And we don't heal by laying out of hands, and the Buddhas don't transfer realizations. Um, they just teach. So that's why the Chukar Duchen is an important day, because it's, it's not just some miracle, it's like just teaching, right? Teaching is hard because, uh, you know, the other person has to kind of get it, right? <laughs> you know, it's like... Um, <laughs> so uh, that's, you know, like, uh, I joke sometimes, like... Uh, about mental health things like uh, it's comparatively easy compared to teaching or nursing because you always say you know it's like people say mental health well if they don't get it uh, if they're not doing something then the patient is resistant right (laughs) so we should say well maybe we're not very good therapists (laughs) yeah so when I worked at Sutter Hospital uh, I've told this story, but I like it. So uh, you had to go to treatment team meeting, right? So the physicians and the nurses and the social workers and whoever's there, and you go around and they say, "This person's going to group or not going to group. This person's got this diagnosis. This is their blood pressure? They're on their meds." Blah 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 blah. And finally, they got to this old social worker, Jerry. Who, said, who was about ready to retire, so he did not care what he said, which is important. So, said, well, that's great, but what are we doing for the patient, right? Yeah, that's the most important. So the teaching means we have to stick with people until we connect. We can't just say, well, uh, they got the handouts. <laughs> so, But, of course, um, uh, you know, I do have high respect for therapists, okay? I'm licensed to. I, I didn't really want to do it uh, myself. My teacher uh, back in the 80s uh, said, you're, you're like, waste, you know, you're screwing up, <laughs> basically. He, didn't, he said it kind of more sharply. Um, <laughs> 
I was doing a lot of retreats. I've done a lot of retreats and a lot of practice. And uh, so uh, I wanted to become monk back then. And he said, well, actually, you're kind of screwing up. And I thought, I'm doing all the practices. What do you mean? But I wasn't engaged in real life. I didn't have a job, right? I have a good karma. I inherited a lot of money. It's all gone, by the way. <laughs> yeah, back then, you know, so, uh, so it's just kind of, which is great, right? Good karma. We have means to do dharma. So he said, well, actually, you need to get some career <laughs> suggested therapy, which I hated, actually, at the time. <laughs> but um, I'm really glad that one of our sangha members, Dana, wants to do training. So that's really good. And do, uh, right now, uh, pro bono free therapy through the Middle Way Foundation. So, um, uh, so send everybody to Dana, right? Because <laughs> 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 it is, actually it is, it's not quite teaching, but it, it's healing on the side of, it's really difficult to stay present with someone and, and just really listen and not give advice, right? That's difficult, you think, well, that's easy. You just sit there. But no, it's very to keep someone on track and to you know, have them stay with their process, particularly when you're working with trauma. So uh, that's, that's difficult practice. Every once in a while, I can't help myself. I have to give advice. But um, <laughs> I wait until session's over. So then, but yeah, so I'm very happy Dana's uh, doing that uh, through the foundation. So you, know, you can say, go, you know, that's, that's good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It is good. <clears throat> so now I like I liked doing it. But I didn't want to confront my demons back then. I thought, I'll just do my Dharma practice and uh, you know, that'll just cure me, right? I won't have to deal with my crazy family history. I can keep drinking, you know, whatever. I had to stop that because of Geshe-la. But But then I thought, well, I won't. Okay, great. I stopped drinking. I did what you told me to do. I'm doing all the Dharma practice. And then he said, no, you have to work with your family stuff. Has anybody tried to do their Dharma practice and to avoid dealing with their trauma, family junk? Yeah, you know. He's really annoying but great teacher because he wouldn't say, well, what's, what's Nagarjuna's understanding of emptiness? He would say, well, how are you doing in your relationships? Right? You can't really wiggle out of that one so easily, right? You could say, yes, I understand lack of inherent existence, and, you know, but then, then you have to talk about, you know, your marriage or your relationships or something, and then what? Okay. So it's good practice to do. So I'm happy Dana's um, jumping in there. <clears throat> so the fundamental wisdom of the Middle Way uh, is uh, J. Garfield's translation. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm on my third reading. I have to read it too. So this is part, uh, this is kind of the last talk on this because now August 4th we should already be starting to read Sankaba's commentary, right? <clears throat> um, so the people that uh, want to like keep up or take it for credit or whatever, then uh, 
you know, this is your last talk because I give two talks. And then we do darshan, and then you're reading it, and then there's, if you want to do the essay, then you have to answer the questions, do an essay. Do the essay as if you're just giving a spontaneous talk. As if, you know, the teacher's calling you out and saying, okay, what, give us, give us the talk on, on the root verses here, where you'd have to stand up in front of your peers and say it. So when you're giving, when you're doing an essay, uh, in a sense, don't, don't let your pen leave the paper. Just, just write it. Okay? Do a little, do a little, you know, kind of thinking ahead of time. Get it, get it kind of together in your head and then write it. Do not do it like uh, an academic college or grad school paper. And please don't use footnotes <laughs> the way Jay does. Right? <laughs> They're good. Jay Garfield's translation, I, I've read all the translations available in English. Um, maybe five or six, actually. But uh, his is particularly interesting because uh, he's actually reading from the Tibetan text. So he's, he's reading, but uh, you'd read in the monastery instead of like going to the Sanskrit or Chinese. So there, there are commentaries and by Western scholars, on, uh, you know, Japanese scholars, and too, uh, from the Chinese or uh, text or Sanskrit text, but he's going to the Tibetan, so there is a slightly different reading, which, so it's very congruent with what we're doing. But if you're going to do, answer the questions, the simple questions, and then short two-page or something essay, then kind of like think it as performance. You're getting in front of the stage and just write it. Just write it, right? <clears throat> so, uh, and then don't apologize. <laughs> Actually, Asian style is don't apologize. Don't, don't apologize. I apologize every once in a while. So uh, I, I catch myself like doing Tai Chi or Qigong with Robert Nakashima. One time, a couple weeks ago, I apologized. So what do you think, what do you think he did? He lost his shit. It's like, don't apologize. <laughs> Let's see. You don't. Yeah, just, you, you just make your presentation and, and deal with the blowback, right? But don't add your own little spin to it. Don't double ego it. Just say it and, you know, just, okay, okay, I'll take the hit now. You know, but don't apologize. So just do it and then send it out, you know? So um, what I'm really looking for, just as a little... Um, for those who haven't yet written your essay or want a little kind of hint hint, <clears throat> um, uh, there is a progression of the verses, and Jay's very good, it's not my friend, Dr. Garfield's, you know, very good about presenting uh, how the argument builds, right? And how uh, there's, you know, a, there's a debater built within the verses, right? If you read it without the commentary, you may have which I wanted people to do first. You may have picked that up, but uh, without reading Dr. Garfield's thing, you probably wouldn't get, well, what does he believe and what's the objectors, right? 
So that's a big part of the scholastic approaches, debating approaches that you, you know, you, you build in that you're answering objections, right? It's a big part of sales approach for anybody who's tried to sell anything. You won't sell it if you don't answer the customer's objections, right? So, so that's the structure. You want to get that structure that there's this dialogue going on. And it's actually an internal dialogue. And he moves along to more uh, refined uh, or more difficult topics. Uh, and one of the most difficult topics, of course, is you know mind and consciousness um, and these fundamental things where it's easy to turn the mind into another entity, right? Well, maybe not for you, but uh, so you you want to address you want to address how he builds the argument, but uh, on a deeper level, uh, we we want to notice like how we use language and thought in a constructive, skillful way, right? So there's a difference between um, projective, conceptual, uh, fixated or reified thought and uh, thought that's flowing and directed. Because just stopping all thought isn't the goal. That's not what we want. We don't want to blank out thoughts. We want to learn how to use all the aspects of our mind properly. So we're, we're training our mind to see what's, what's the difference between what, what's, what kind of thinking and use of, of mind and relative mind is actually helpful on the path. What's the difference between flowing mind and fixated mind? I, I want you to see that, or at least get an idea of that. Mm-hmm. So that that's big, right? That's easy. Okay. No, it's hard. But you know, just read the book, then answer the question. So if you don't want to do the, if you don't want to participate in the Dharma study program, uh, you think, well, okay, you want to get the certificate. You just want to audit it. That's fine. You don't have to uh, do an essay. You just read the books because I'm saving people a whole lot of time by saying these are some really essential texts. I'm saving a whole lot of time next year. Like these are meditational uh, manuals and texts that would be good to read. So I'm trying to save us all a lot of time, right? <clears throat> but I think you you can do you can send me an essay, uh, you know, and see what happens, right? Mm. I'll take a few questions and then we'll, I'll say some more. Hi. You need the microphone though. Thank you for these uh, profound teachings, Lama. Okay, yeah. Um, I, is this a program that we have to be formally signed up for? Can I just go order the book on Amazon and start and do the essays? Do I need to ask you about this in Darshan? <laughs> well, I, the, what's important is that everybody you know, be a refuge student member of Sangha and ask permission or 
you know, say I want to do it. Okay. You know, so there's a definite start, you know. So, yeah, I mean, so much of Dharma is like, you know, stand up and, you know, be like, okay, I'm here, you know. So uh, you, you can do that right now, or you can say, okay, let me think about it. Oh, great. I'd like to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, beware of what you ask for. <laughs> there will be tears. That is good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, it's not, uh, you know, we haven't set it up like a distance learning program like uh, Geshe Tashi's, but we are recording the talks now, right, and hopefully recording uh, Monday nights, you know, thanks to the efforts of, you know, everybody involved, you know, Dirk's putting them up on the website, and you know, Dana's helped get material, you know, all this is because Dana's doing that, and, and Greg's helped figure out all the, why, you know, how it all works, you know, so my my iPhone's sitting six feet away, so it's, yeah. So it, it's not a distance program, but if, if people are um, moving away, then, uh, but are Darshan students, then we stay in touch, right? So, uh, It's very possible, you know, to, uh, like Ashley's living up in Seattle, right? But we talk, and now she's leading a meditation group, right? Sunday nights, right? Close, so that's good. So for people that move away, if you stay in touch and you want to do the program, then I can do it. For people that move away uh, and want to, you know, have a sitting group at their home or start, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dharma uh, group, then I will come, right? Like that. That's nice, right? Yeah, I'll visit. <clears throat> Do we have another question? Rob. Yeah, give Rob the mic, yeah. 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 Hi, Mama. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Um, I had a question about uh, uh, for been reading or trying to read Dharma books for a number of years and I don't normally get through all of them or any of them um, <laughs> so I, I bought all the books um, mm. and they're very um, very big <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of other things going on right now but yeah. I was wondering if you had any um, suggestions on how to read Dharma books because my, my experience is that um, you really have to read them a couple times before yeah. you really absorb anything but like you know as new students how do you read Dharma books like first chapter last chapter get the, the gist or you really have to like get into the, the meat of it or um, read the headlines <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well we want to read them meditatively and with a different way than reading them like you know, grad school or something. So, um, we we want to pick up the basic flow of of what's happening, and the basic point. So, you, I I would read them a little more like poetry than trying to read a history book or something. You know, that because then people get all stuck. You know, then they'll just be reading like one verse, and then they gotta go on the internet and look up just one individual thing 
and you'll never get done. So it, you, you, you want to read where you're engaged, but um, you've got to keep moving. So it's like walking through a swamp. You know, you, you, you want to keep moving. Because a lot of times, as you go along, the things become clearer, right? So uh, it's like moving toward a, a mountain or something. It's good, it might get clearer as you get closer. So, you know, it's not like you're totally, like, skipping over things that you should, but uh, you, you basically want to keep moving. So you want to read with kind of a light meditative thing, the same kind of concentration you, you use on your meditation uh, when you're like doing shamatha, right? Because if you're too loose in meditation, you just drift. If you're too tight, you just shut down, right? You seize up. So that's why, you know, the meditation and, and uh, the mind lojong, the mind training, goes together. You know, the, the non-conceptual meditation, conceptual meditation go along. Because you take it middle way, you're just kind of like, okay, well, um, they're saying this, but it you know, I don't quite get it, but they're going to say it again later. So you just keep reading, right? You know, they're going to say it a different way. Yeah, so, you know, you want to you just stick with it. Not that you're just superficial, but you're just kind of going through it. So, you know, the same way, like, on um, walking on some kind of narrow passageway, you know, you, you, you want to kind of keep walking, whereas if you stop, you might kind of fall over like a uh, tightrope or something. I've never done that, but, you know, I've walked along. I like walking like the balance beam, you know, and gym or something. So you want to keep walking. So you, you can read it and get the words and not understand it, but keep going. Because if you say, I've got to understand everything before I go on, you won't get it. And then you're not expected to. Yeah, that's a really good question. Then Rob, yeah. So my question goes back to the mind, and you made a comment on uh, making it an entity, which is exactly what Elizabeth and I have been discussing the last couple yeah. of days. Um, in tying it to, I guess, the stages of dying uh, and maintaining in the, the clear light to sort of a and this, this could be completely wrong, and I accept that, but influencing sort of the next incarnation, um, what is it that continues on when the body dies? And I guess that's my question, is <laughs> in a very, very loose way. Um, as sort of, in answering, if I may, uh, my own question this morning as I was thinking of how to phrase it, I, I looked at the mind as an, as an aggregate of experience, uh, more intangible than the body, and so that sort of next incarnation is, I don't know, I don't know what to say, so. You're a Hindu. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a chapter, of course, in the, uh, the verses that, of course, go, you know, start addressing, okay, what? You know, how, how do we get the middle way between the nihilism of the, there's no next moment and, or how the eternalism of it's just the same, right? So this, this, this is really a big thing always, is how do we explain, uh, you know, movement and stillness, right? 
the, the way it's, even in the West, Aristotle, Plato, even contemporary philosophers and Samkhya, Hindu kind of philosophers, is like this change on the top and this non-change substratum, right? And we have a theory about how those two interact, right? That's how, it, that's it. There's appearances, and behind that, there's essence. The appearances change, but the essence doesn't change, and somehow they connect, right? That's it. Don't do, that's not what we do. So even, even very mind-oriented uh, schools like Yogacara, they're not postulating that there's this mind essence that then you know, has this appearance thing, and then it works together somehow. So there's no clear light mind. It's just the name. <laughs> so, yeah. But we're not, when we say no clear light mind, we're not saying that there's a nothing, but we have to be careful. Like, we use the word clear light mind, and then suddenly we have an image that pops up, and we suddenly have a theory about how the clear light mind works. So, you know, if I, if I just said Rigpa, then you'd start having... The way that's easier, we just say rigpa, and it's a Tibetan word, so we don't. But then we then we translate and say awareness, and then we start having associations around that word, right? So just just like in Western philosophy, you know, Wittgenstein, language kind of interesting philosopher said we we get stuck in our language game. We have to be careful, right? Because then we we make something, and then we then how does that fit in? So by now, when dealing with uh, this text and dealing with our shamatha, just basic meditation practice, um, we, we shouldn't be really worrying about clear-like mind because clear-like mind uh, actually is a term used within a language system of certain kind of tantras, right? Like that, so he's a clear light mind. So that's trans, you know Tibetan translations, you know, like. Uh, so we have to be we have to be really careful. So like Kalachakra doesn't talk about clear light, right? Right, Alan? No, no clear light, right? Something happens, so there's no clear light. Like all the other tantras talking, uh, and then Shama, the new translation school, is talking about clear light. Kalachakra, no clear light, right? <laughs> Colors are different too, right? The colors are different. Chakra are different colors, right? So, like that. Yeah. The, then there's Lamatoni. <laughs> so we, you know, so I, you know, like I like radiant mind myself, you know. But then that has a visual, you know. So we have to just know we're we're in the language game. We're in the language game, so we have to be, you know, so. You know, I wanted people to start on Nagarjuna because it just slams you right into the fact that we're in a language game and you're either going to be liberated with language or you're going to be enslaved. And most of us are enslaved. Totally enslaved, right? But uh, in our school, we want to learn language. We can use it understanding it's conditional and relative because what we want to realize is just the sheer... Uh, conditionality of of the world, like that, right? And that's what we're here, at least in reading this, right? We're just talking about like complete conditionality, 
Good question, though. So, but on a very practical level, you know, sometimes people are worried, you know, about, um, you know, like what's going to happen after death. Um, so, uh, very simply, look at your life right now. So, uh, that's probably how you know you're going to end up. That's your con- look at you know your general flow of your life right now. So, if the general flow of your life right now you're very satisfied with and you feel are going in good direction, then you, with reasonable confidence, you can go, I'll you know probably be going in the right direction. If you really want to know, uh, go further, then, of course, uh, then you want to be able to direct, right? That's harder, right? Just kind of like, I'll probably end up with nice people and practice again, but then to be able to direct our attention somewhere, uh, that's, that's trickier, right? Then we want to train to that. Hmm. One more question, then I've got to say some more. All right, no questions. That's good. Maybe can I say something? Or yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So your question, make sure I heard it right, but your question was, where is consciousness going after here? Kind of? Kind of, yeah. So I look at it, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, right? It's a, it's a continuity of consciousness. <clears throat> and that continuity is only to the moment, right? So meaning we don't, no, we can't look any further back and we can't look any further ahead. It's just the next moment of consciousness dependent solely on the last. That's as simple as I can say it. It's not... The form is dead. The con- the consciousness is not. The form is dead. The consciousness is not. That will continue. Yeah. Yeah. If if it was tough, everyone would do it. If what you know, if it wasn't tough. So, uh, at some point, uh, we'll be reading Maitreya um, uh, Tantra Shastra, which is uh, common to all the schools. Uh, which talks about continuity. Tantra means continuity. So just briefly, uh, if things aren't just randomly changing and they're not just completely static, how do, what, how, how do we talk about things? And in our tradition, we talk about continuity. What's, what's the union of movement and stillness? What's What's the movement between, what's the difference between, what, what's actually happening as continuity? So the continuity is the main thing, uh, but uh, not, not the content of the continuity so much. And, and Theravada things, a little bit, the uh, simple kind of Sarvastivada style is that it's like an impression of a seal on a wax so the the impression is transferred but nothing moves you know between the seal and the wax right it's interesting it's like that so that's why we talk about impressions so there isn't something that leaps over you know you have a stamp or you have your kind of metal thing and 
your your letter wax or something. So nothing nothing moves from that stamp. It leaves an impression. Yeah. Good question. So okay. So now I'm not giving you a break, so just settle in. So we'll just go a few more minutes and we'll sit. So starting um, Sundays now, um, uh, I'm going to be uh, building on the last year or two, which we were, I was calling Bodhisattva Path, right? Uh, and now I want to start presenting um, uh, for general public and or for us to, uh, you know, uh, in general, Kala Chakra and Shambhala teachings. So, uh, calling like Sundays like uh, Shambhala Journey. <clears throat> in a way, we've been doing it already because I've asked, uh, you know, students to give talks that uh, are covering both uh, absolute and relative, both personal and transpersonal worlds. But I want to lean into it now a little bit more. So, uh, Rhi has uh, uh, made a booklet of the short um, uh, succession guru uh, yoga and kala chakra that we can do for the public. And uh, when I'm here, we can do that. And then we can start building uh, the talks around you know, what is uh, Shambhala journey. So, briefly, <coughs> uh, Shambhala journey ends up at Shambhala, which is compassionate and uh, alive community, right? And But the journey there entails weaving together the uh, absolute and relative world. So your personal world, who you're in love with, who you're not in love with, what the name of your dog or cat is, you know, and where you live with uh, the, you know, con- continuity of Rigpa. So uh, that's the journey. It's difficult, but we're, we can do it because we're emphasizing the weaving together of things that are usually seen as separate or oppositional, right? So uh, I'll be putting together kind of talks for people and uh, even emphasizing when uh, our refugee students give talks that uh, they are talking from that point of view. Um, I should say, disclaimer, like, uh, uh, of course, uh, the successor to Trungpa Rinpoche's Vajradhatu uh, uh, organization they call Shambhala, right? Um, so, uh, which is great, but it's not copyrighted, so it's okay, we can call it Shambhala Journey. Somebody said to me, like, Are you, can you use that word? I mean, I said, yeah, we can. <laughs> Is actually Shambhala Music Festival right in British Columbia. Anybody gone to that? No. It's kind of a more light, light-hearted hippie style of, of, you know, Burning Man. I think. Who's, who's been to Burning Man? Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the Shambhala journey means we're weaving together the secular and sacred because I'm creating. Uh, of course, we have the. Uh, lineage Dharma, Buddha Dharma program we're doing, and then also we have many meditations here which are secular, right? Just mindfulness style. So I'm calling that Mindful Life program, and then 
on the sacred uh, lineage side, you know, Buddha Dharma program. But the, the opposites we're weaving together in our tradition are like samsara nirvana, right? Absolute relative world, the opposites. <coughs> Shambhala has the capital uh, city uh, called Kalapa. <clears throat> and Kala means time, place means, uh, and Pa means place. So, like Songkapa, like person from Songka, right? His, his kind of monastic name is Losang Drakpa, but we call him Songkapa. So. so, Shambhala itself, when we reach Shambhala, um, of course, mythologically, visually, it might be eight petaled uh, mountains, you know and look a certain way. Um, but reaching the very center where the Kala Chakra teachings are and where it's given is Kalapa. So from a practice point of view, Kalapa means like uh, right time, right place. Oops, are we on? Okay. So, <clears throat> so we're not just training to uh, develop attention or renunciation before that. We're not just training to balance our rhythm. We're not just training to recognition, uh, as in uh, Dzogchen. Uh, we're, we're really training toward uh, real harmony. Uh, and further than that, we're training to Shambhala. Shambhala means like we're actualizing right time and right place. That's a little bit, you know, the whole thing. So uh, we're really bringing all the different aspects together by saying, okay, I'm, I'm in the right rhythm, the right harmony. I'm bringing together the resolving the opposites. I'm in just the right time and just the right place. So it's neither purely, it's neither just mental or just physical. It's of course, the blissful uh, union of uh, appearance and emptiness. That's Shambhala. That makes sense, right? So right time, right place is actually where you are right now. So for those of us who feel like you're totally in the right time, right place, just uh, August 4th uh, in East Sacramento, then uh, you're in Shambhala, right? Didn't cost you anything. You didn't have to do. <laughs> you didn't have to go to Nova Scotia and take long <laughs> training. <laughs> but uh, it does take training to to develop continuity of awareness. So uh, we feel that sense of uh, real balance and rhythm and attention and harmony and recognition. So it all comes together where you have that experience. Like I'm in just the right. This is just the right time, right place. We're fully alive and you don't want to be anywhere else. You know who you are and you know what's going on and what keeps us going. I'll just ask a question. What, what, what is the juice that keeps you doing the whole journey? Who would like to guess? What, what do we call the juice that, you know? Yeah, bodhicitta. All right. Yes. Correct. Bodhicitta. So this absolute and relative bodhicitta. Right? Absolute bodhicitta we don't own, but we're responsible for. 
we don't own the trees, we don't own the earth, but we're responsible, right? Don't screw it up, please. And personal bodhicitta is the one that, you know, said, I'm, I'll be back in a couple hours, honey, don't worry. <laughs> I'm going to go meditate like that. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.